Happy New Year. It is, hey, yeah, it's, it's good to be together uh, in person for the first time in 2023, and I am excited about what God has in store for us uh, this coming year. Uh, if you watched online this past uh, weekend, we did a little bit of an online uh, sermon on January 1st. Uh, and on that uh, little devotional sermon, uh, I, I told a bit of a story. Uh, and it was 22 years ago when I uh, was at Bible college and I, I played this. I, I won't tell the details of the story, but I played a missionary uh, in basketball at Bible college. He was visiting our college and challenged somebody at our college to a game of one-on-one. And so in front of the whole school, I played this guy in one-on-one. Long story short, uh, I ended up losing the game by one bucket. And I got so angry. Uh, that I kicked the ball across the gym and hit the roof and the wall. Uh, and then he went to shake my hand after, and I turned and walked the other way. In front of our whole college. And, um, and it's a shameful story, and I'm laughing because I feel awkward even talking about it. Uh, and I think back to that moment, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, what a jerk. Uh, and I've had these moments in my life where I'm surprised at myself, um, at how I respond, at how I act, at how, um, you know, whatever I, I, I speak. Uh, when I think that I should be further along than I am, it's disappointing, it's frustrating. And, it, you know, that was a little bit easier for me to share um, on the video on January 1st because it was 22 years later. Uh, but let's be honest, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to share those, those things in in the present moment, uh, to talk about things that are currently going on. Sometimes it's easy to reflect on things that happened in the past. Uh, I, you know, I kicked off the new year. We were, we were going skiing as a family just a few weeks back in the new year. And I was frustrated, uh, with one of my sons and we were in the vehicle and, uh, and I had a disproportionate response to what was actually happening in my frustration. And I yelled at him in our vehicle. And yelling is probably a nice word. I, I screamed at him. That's just a few days ago. Uh, and after I screamed at him, I'm like, what was I thinking? What am I doing? You know, the, this, this reaction to a moment that is disproportionate to what is actually happening. And I went back to him that evening, and I, um, I said, hey, we got to talk. I, I just want to apologize for earlier this morning, um, and I yelled at you, and he said to me, it's okay. And I said, no, it's, it's not okay. He's like, Dad, it's fine. And I said, no, it's not fine. I'm asking you to forgive me. And he said, you know, I forgive you. And it's not fine, and it's not okay. Um, but I have these moments, and I don't think I'm the only one in the room, where I'm surprised at my own life, at my own decisions, at my own struggles, my own responses, things going on that I'm like, I should be further along than where I am. Do you have, ever have these moments where you feel stuck? Uh, like you're not moving forward. Uh, you're not being changed. You know, if I were to read you the names, the following names, Tag, Ted Hagert, Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, Bruxy Cavey, Brian Houston, Carl Lenz, Mark Driscoll, I could name a much longer list. What do these names have in common? They were Christian leaders sometime in our generation who had a significant um, failure uh, that disqualified them from ministry. Moral failures that contradicted the things that they were teaching and preaching about. 
Um, I watched some of the, one of the documentaries about one of these churches over, over the break here, and my heart was broken at, um, you know, these, these leaders that um, responded and acted and had behaviors that were so different uh, from the gospel and the good news that they were preaching and, and teaching. And it seemed to me that there's an increasing reality of Christians that think the gospel is something that we're just supposed to believe instead of something that we're supposed to put into practice and live out. And I don't mean to, to pick on those celebrity names, so to speak, uh, because what I'm talking about is not unique to Christian leaders. It's just that Christian leaders are more public, uh, and so we, it's easier to talk about them. Uh, but many of us have believed in the gospel for a very long time, the good news of Jesus, and yet we remain relatively unchanged. We're still stuck. We still struggle. We still have bad habits and addictions, destructive behaviors, resentment, unforgiveness, We have low-level anxiety under the surface or anger under the surface, and we're wondering, I believe in this good news, but why is my life relatively unchanged? And so what happens over time is when you believe in, in the gospel and your life remains relatively unchanged, that you begin to hide over time and begin to pretend because you feel ashamed. You feel guilty. You think, well, I say I believe this, I talk about this, but yet my life looks like this. And so what is our response? Our response is is to hide. And that's the exact response that will continue to keep us stuck. Continue to keep us in the same place, not moving forward, not experiencing transformation in our lives. I know I don't watch a lot of TV shows, but I, I usually pick you know a certain show in certain seasons, and I uh, and it kind of becomes the show that I watch. And a number of years ago, I watched a show that I really liked called Prison Break. How many of you guys have seen that? The show Prison Break. Uh, not all the seasons are very good, but the first season I really loved. The first season, and uh, and spoiler alert, uh, I mean this was released ten years ago, so if you haven't watched it, it's too late. Uh, but you know, there's this brother, uh, or this guy named Michael Schofield, and, uh, or actually Lincoln Burroughs is the brother who was in prison. Uh, he was wrongly committed for a crime that he didn't do, and his brother kind of uh, created this elaborate plan, and the brother's name is Michael Schofield, and he uh, found himself a way to get into that prison with his brother with the, uh, with the goal of breaking him out. Uh, and, and part of his plan, or a big part of his plan, was that he, you know, he studied the prison systems and he knew the blueprints. And then he got the blueprints of the whole structure and the system of, of the prison tattooed on his body. And so his whole body was a tattoo of, uh, of the prison, and he used that as the blueprints to get himself and his brother uh, out, of, out of jail. I loved, I loved the show. Um, and... The Bible actually speaks about us being slaves to sin, being stuck in our sin, being enslaved or serving sin as our master. Uh, But Jesus has actually given us a blueprint so that we don't stay there. He actually came with a blueprint to say, this is how you find your way out. This is how you begin the journey of transformation. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about for for the month of January. Uh, It's going to be our focus uh, in the series, Break Every Chain. Uh, that Jesus has actually given us the power and the, the ability to move forward and not be stuck where, where we are. Our, our mission at Sunwest is to guide all people in a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus. Uh, and so we encourage people to actually make a decision to, to follow Jesus. But after that decision to follow Jesus, we enter into a lifelong journey. 
And so that is why our, our vision statement is to see shalom breakers becoming shalom makers. Now, 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 really quick, shalom simply means the way things were intended to be, that we live in right relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and the world, that God designed us to flourish and live in a certain type of way. And the Hebrew word to describe that, that holistic, full life is the word shalom. Uh, and so we break shalom in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and we believe that when we follow Jesus, when we give our life to him and follow him through the course of our life, we will be transformed from becoming shalom breakers to becoming shalom makers, partnering with God and what he's doing. And right at the center of that vision statement is the word become. And it's a, it's a transformative word. It's a changing word, being somebody and then changing to be somebody else. Uh, and that's why one of our values at SunWest is transformation, uh, believing that change starts in me. And so when we're following Jesus on a lifelong journey, we should not be the same person next year as we are today. We shouldn't be the same person in 10 years that we are today. When we follow Jesus and his blueprint for our lives, we should actually, over time, become more and more like Jesus and it's so important that we do that. It's so important that we take that journey of transformation seriously because what you don't transform, you transmit. Well, you don't transform, you transmit. When we fail to follow God's blueprint in our lives, the stuff that we're struggling with, that we're trying to hide, actually starts to seep out of us and it affects people around us. You have moments where you boot a basketball across the gym, or you yell at your kid, or your whatever thing that you're struggling with or wrestling with actually starts to seep out into your relationships, and it affects your spouse, it affects your kids, your friends, your coworkers, your employees. So again, why do some people who profess to be Christians remain relatively unchanged over time? And I, and I believe fundamentally we've misunderstood what the word salvation means and what it's talking about. I mean, uh, followers of Jesus have talked about salvation or being saved uh, all the time. But the word salvation is the Greek word sozo, which means to be saved, healed, and delivered. It's, it's a full word that has, has so many layers of meaning to it. Uh, many of us have been taught this idea that, um, you know, when we choose to follow Jesus, we're saved, it's done, and it's finished. And that is partially true. And I want to expand on that this morning. I, I, I met with a spiritual director every couple of weeks over my sabbatical uh, this, this summer, and he more than one time said to me, he's like, you Western evangelical Christians, he said, you think that salvation is a one-time event. He's like, but we have a lot to learn from the church fathers and our Catholic friends who teach that salvation is an ongoing process and journey. It seems to me that when we pay attention to what the Bible tells us that both of these things are true, that there's, there's a part of what it means to be saved and, um, and salvation that is a one-time event, but there's a whole other part of it that is a transformative journey. So when we talk about salvation... Biblically, it's referring to a number of things. The first thing is that God gave new life to us. This means that God imparted new life to us. The spirit of Christ was given to us. Jesus referred to this in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus that he invites him to be born again. And to be born again is a one-time event that when we choose to follow Jesus, we are born again. We begin a new life. So like birth, like our physical birth, it's a moment that happens. It is a one-time event. 
And so salvation means that God gives us new life, and that new life begins at a certain point. So that happened one time. Uh, we also know that salvation means that God justifies us. This refers to our legal standing before him. Uh, so before we're saved, we're, we, 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 when we stand before God, we, are, uh, we have sin in our lives. We are sinful people. Uh, but when we choose to give our lives to Jesus, the Bible teaches us that the perfection of Christ is actually given to us and we are just justified through faith in Christ. In Romans it says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, justified, it's something that has happened. We have peace with God, uh, which is uh, the Greek idea here of peace with God is the Hebrew idea of shalom, that we actually have shalom with God, that we enter relationship with God again through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's something that currently, presently happened because it was a one-time event when we gave our lives to Jesus, we were justified before him. And so those two things, they happen when we choose to follow Jesus. The third thing that happens at one point is that God adopts us. So when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about giving new life, it talks about justifying us, but also it, it, it also talks about us being adopted by God. In John chapter 1, it said, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. This means that God... This means that God made us members of his own family. We are his sons and we are his daughters when we choose to receive the gift of salvation because of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection on the cross. So God adopts us. God justifies us. God gives new life to us. These are one-time events that happen when we choose to follow Jesus, but that's only part of what salvation is talking about. Salvation is also referring to God sanctifying us. So unlike the first three things that I refer to, sanctification requires our participation, and it is not a one-time event. And sanctification sounds like a really fancy word, but, but essentially sanctification means transformation, that we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And sanctification is a journey. And if you pay attention as you read the word of God, you'll see that sanctification isn't a one-time event, but it is, a, it is an event that has a beginning, and it goes and goes and goes until Jesus comes back. And so uh, sanctification is three parts, our past, our present, our future. So just to start with the future, there's one day when Jesus returns, and the Bible tell, promises us that we will be fully made into the likeness of Christ, that we will be given brand new bodies, which I'm thankful for because I'm getting to the age where I wake up in the morning and I have an injury that I didn't have the night before. <laughs> Any of you guys have that? You're like, I like woke up with a limp. I'm like, what did I do? I just went to bed. Um, I'm getting to that point. Uh, so I'm thankful that there's a day coming in the future where uh, I will be fully transformed, that, that I will be fully in the likeness of Jesus, uh, and that this broken body, this sinful body that I live in will be transformed into his likeness. So that day is hap- going to happen one day in the future. Uh, sanctification also refers to a moment that happened in the past. The Bible is clear that we all inherited a- Adam's sinful nature when we were born. We were in Adam when we were born, which is why we all, all die. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, it says that, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Romans 5 go, goes on to say, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. 
So we learn that we are actually born in the likeness of Adam. And that means that we are human, yes, but we are a broken and cracked version of what God intended. And some people think that means that we're unlovable, that God hates us, because that's that's not true. God loves us. God sent his son into the world because he loves us, but it does mean that we are broken, that we are born in the likeness of Adam, not in the likeness of Jesus. And so Paul pictured uh, and describes this as a predisposition or tendency to sin. That is our default tendency. And he refers to this as being enslaved by sin, that sin is our master, that we are born in a world where sin, in, in a way where sin is our master, and we actually live out this brokenness. But here's what happened at salvation. Our old self with its Adam nature and its predisposition and tendency to sin was crucified in Christ. In Romans 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And so the old self, the old Adam nature was crucified or killed when we choose to follow Jesus so that we will no longer be a slave to the master of sin. Paul goes on to say in the next verse, because anyone who has died, and this is referring to when we follow Jesus, we die to ourself and we live for Christ. So anyone who has experienced this death to self has been freed from sin. This is referring to your life when you follow Jesus. Sin has now become an outer force tempting us from the outside instead of an inner force controlling us from within. This is a moment that happened If you've chosen to follow Jesus in your past, this is a moment that has already happened. You're no longer bound or obligated to serve or obey sin, that sin is no longer your master. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our body, ruled by sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. It all says in Romans 6, verse 2, that we died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? So this phrase, we died to sin, what does that even mean? Well, death, the way Paul's describing it in this way, is the end of relationship to sin, but it's not the end of the existence of sin. When we die to sin, our relationship with sin ended forever, but sin itself didn't die. And this is critical to understand, that, that sin remains But the role that sin has on a person that's following Jesus has changed. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, when the old self was crucified, we died to sin and the power of sin was not broken. Sin didn't die, but sin's power to dominate or be the master of our lives changed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not only did God crucify our old nature, our Adam nature, Uh, But he gave us a new nature, a divine nature. And so this is all something that has happened when you choose to follow Jesus, that that God takes your old nature and gives you a new nature. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. Your Adam nature is gone. The new nature is here. The nature of Jesus living in you. So the old nature doesn't exist anymore. You've been given a new nature. Which should cause us to ask the question, why do we still act and react 
as though sin was still in control of our lives? Why do we have moments where we kick a basketball across a gym or scream at our kids or fill in the blank? Well, this brings us to the idea of sanctification in the present. And so there was a, there's a future transformation that's coming. There's a past transformation that happened in our nature where God changed our DNA. But there's a present struggle that we are in the middle of. In Romans 6, uh, I read a whole bunch of verses right now just from Romans 6, but Romans 6 is talking about, again, that sin is no longer a master. That sin doesn't have to dominate our lives anymore. Paul's talking about how we died to sin. We've been given a new master. We've been given a new nature. But then he gets to Romans 7. And we encounter in Romans 7, Paul wrestling with what he knows has happened in his past and the reality of how he is living in the present. And this is the way Paul describes the struggle in Romans 7. He says, what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is sin living in me that does it. Wow. Do you follow that? I mean, it's confusing, but there's, there's a part of us, we know, whenever I read Romans 7, I'm like, Paul gets me. Paul gets me. I do the thing I didn't want to do, and I didn't want to do it, and then I ended up doing it, but I, it's, not, it's not really what I want, but it's what happened, and he's just, it's honesty. Paul's frustrated. He's living in the in-between. And this is so important because it's not whether you sin or not that tells you if you've been given a new nature or if you've been saved. But do you see the indication that Paul is wrestling with his sin? God gave him a new nature. And the fact that he's wrestling with this tells us that he's in the process of transformation. The fact that he feels like it's not right, it's not okay, the fact that he has a desire to be someone different than he is, the fact that he wants to do something that he feels like he can't do, that he's striving for something that that he desires, but there's a moment where he doesn't be the person that he feels like he wants to be, tells us that Paul is actually on the journey of transformation. And when Paul says here, he refers to his sinful nature, Uh, This can be confusing because it's actually not referring to the Adam nature, the sinful nature that we were talking about. It's it's a different Greek word, and I'm uh, I'm not sure why we've chosen to translate it this way or why many translations do it this way, Uh, but the word uh, that some translation uses, flesh, which again kind of hints to the point, but the the Greek word is sarx, And, and sarx is referring to our basic primal animalistic instincts, our drives for self-gratification, our, our default to put ourselves first. It can refer to sensuality, 
to pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, our need to be in control, our need to be on top. These desires are in all of us. And these desires in and of themselves aren't in and of themselves evil, but left unchecked and left to be the primary motive behind our decision-making, they can be very, very destructive. And the idea of having an animal desire that needs to be tamed is not even unique to Christianity. Buddha spoke of one's desire with the metaphor of riding an elephant and a giant beast. Plato referred to two horses fighting against each other, fighting for domination within the, the human soul. There was a Jewish rabbi who referred to the battle between our animal soul and our divine soul. All of these people are describing a battle with the sarks, the flesh that we as humans have. For a long time, there has been a perspective that not all desires are created equal. Some of our desires are higher or nobler and lead to life and freedom and peace and shalom. Others are lower or more animalistic, and they lead to death and slavery and fear and destruction. And so what we see Paul describing in Romans 7 isn't a battle between his Adam nature and his divine nature. It's a battle between who he is and his divine nature, who, who God has actually made him. And his flesh. And it's true when we read Paul and we reflect on our own lives that our deepest desires are not our strongest desires. Our deepest desires are not our strongest desires. And this is the challenge in our day and age when people tell you, well, you just do you. Whatever you want, whatever you, whatever you thinks. Well, that's a kind of a confusing idea because which you are you talking about? Which part of me? Sometimes you feel a war between what you want and what you really, really want. You feel a war between what you want and what you're choosing, a war between who you want to become and who you are, how you're acting. How many of you have given up New Year's resolutions already? <laughs> Some of you. We know this to be true. We have a deep desire around the beginning of the year to be somebody different. And then at some point along the way, we give into stronger desires and we give up on those deep desires. Counselors, spiritual directors, and philosophers, ethicists for all of history have realized that happiness comes not as a result of doing whatever you feel, but as a result of learning to discipline our desires. And so Paul in Romans 7 is describing this battle with the flesh between who he is and how he's behaving. And when you and I were created, we were created with a conscious part of us and a subconscious part of us. And so part of what the flesh is referring to is the subconscious part of us, the default part of us that just tends to go a certain way. Um, you know, when you were learning to drive, you had to consciously think about what you were doing, Right about where the gas pedal was, about where your blinker was, and, you know, how do I not confuse that with the windshield wiper, and, you know, turning on the lights, and uh, learning to do the right-hand turn and left-hand turn, and, and thinking about not running over pedestrians, like all these things you are consciously thinking about when you're learning to drive. But there becomes a point, for most of us, uh, where this becomes second nature. I mean, I had a moment uh, just about a month ago where I was going somewhere, and I ended up at my house. <laughs> I was like, well, how did I end up in my house? I just went into autopilot and I dr drove home because I forgot where, where I was supposed to be going. I'm like, this happens. 
Uh, it happens to me. Anyways. So we, we have these default ways of acting, of responding, of thinking, these habits that are formed because we've done it over and over again. So part of when Paul's talking about the flesh, what he's referring to is our automated response, the things we naturally do that we don't think about. We do a whole bunch of things without thinking about it. We, we take showers, we eat, we walk, we talk, we bike, and so on. We drive, we do all these things, and most of them are automated responses because we've learned over time to do this. What Paul is describing in Romans 7 is that there's an automated way that we are living. And some of these automated ways are in, in the opposite direction to which the Spirit of God is inviting us to live. And so we need to retrain ourselves to discipline ourselves to live in a certain type of way. Because for most of us, our deepest desires are not our strongest desires. But here's the good news that your deepest desires can become your strongest desires. This is the process of sanctification. That the things we really, really want in our lives can become the things that we desire most strongly. Those moments at New Year's or whenever it is where you're like, I really, really want to be this type of person. You know, maybe it's, you know, I want to eat healthy. I want to become a healthier person. You know, that bag of chips looks really, really good. And by week two, you give in to your strongest desire. But over time, if you start to live with a certain discipline, you will start to crave and build a habit to live a certain type of food. You know, that that example exists for all sorts of things in our lives. Over time, if we discipline ourselves to live a certain type of way, we build a habit, and our automated responses now can become God-honoring. Can become, instead of being shalom breakers, can actually move us to a place of being shalom makers. But... It takes work, and it takes intentionality. And just because you've been saved, just because you've been justified, just because you've been adopted, just because God's given you new life does not mean that changes your automated responses. Because some things, when we're saved, happen in a moment, but other things happen over the course of our lifetime. And so this is why Paul in Philippians 2 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I love this verse because it speaks to two realities that are not mutually exclusive, that there's some work that God does in your life. And there's some work that you do in your life. God works and we work. And as we partner with God and doing the work in our lives, our wills and our desires and our ability to act and to create change actually changes when we partner with God. Our will and our ability to act change as we partner with what God wants to do in our lives. But it takes work. It doesn't just happen. We're not passive entities in this salvation process. We were active partners with God and what he's doing in our lives. So let me ask you, are you currently in this moment a saint or a sinner? Who thinks saint? 
Who thinks sinner? You should know better than answer this question. They're trick questions. Uh, they, they shouldn't be trick questions. Because the unequivocal truth is that we are saints, that we have been changed, that God has actually changed our DNA and who we are and given us a new nature. That point has happened and it is done. But there's a transformation that still needs to happen. And I have found it helpful to think of a caterpillar who actually has the DNA of a butterfly. You know, the caterpillar has the DNA of a butterfly, but it actually takes time and there's a process involved in that, in that DNA to mature and to become the butterfly. You know, many of, us that we, many of us think that we're sinners that need to change, but if you've given your life to Jesus, the truth is that you are saints that need to mature. And that takes participation. God's grace is not just intended to save us, but it's also intended to empower us to change. And this is so critical for us to understand and respond to because what you don't transform, you transmit. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the same person in 10 years that I am today. I don't want to be the same person next year that I am today. I want to be more like Jesus. And I'm thankful to Jesus that he's adopted me, that he's given me a new identity, that he's put his spirit into me. But that was the beginning of a lifelong journey. Jesus invites me not just to be somebody who's saved, but to join him in being a shalom maker and living life in the way that it was intended to be. And I do have these moments where I'm surprised that I'm not more further along than I am. But to tell you the truth, I am not the same person I was 22 years ago when I kicked that ball across the gym, and I'm thankful to say that. That there's been transformation. But it takes work. It takes partnering with Jesus and what he's doing. And it's difficult to take the time and the energy on a Sunday morning and the, the little bit of time that we have together to do that work. And so my hope over the course of January here is that we understand the truth and the, the concepts and the invitation. Uh, but the reality is that God has given us a blueprint to be set free. God has given us a blueprint to be transformed to break the chains that bind us in the places that we're stuck. Uh, and that's why we, th- we think it's important that we actually spend significant time not just talking about these ideas, but now putting into practice the blueprint that Jesus has given us to be increasingly set free, to be transformed, to be more the people that we desire to be because he's given the, that desire in our hearts and the people that he's called us to be. So January 27th, 28th, you've already heard about it, but uh, Friday night and Saturday will be done uh, by supper time. Uh, we are intentionally going after this as a church. I mean, I don't want to just do church on Sundays. That gets tiring. I mean, I get tired of listening to my own voice. I, I want to be a part of a community that is actively involved in following Jesus and being transformed into his likeness. I don't want to wait till the sanctification that's going to happen at the end of my life because there's consequences in my current life when I don't take that seriously now. 
Would you join us on that weekend? And I know it's a lot of time, and, a, and I'm as busy as anybody. But is there anything really more important than this? Is there anything really more important in our lives than becoming like Jesus? Your future self would thank you. Your spouse would thank you. Your kids will thank you. Your friends will thank you. Because what we don't transform, we transmit. And so you can register for this online uh, or on our app. Uh, And this is something that we've actually been longing to do as a church for a few years. We've been talking about it for a long time. And because of a lot of stuff in COVID, we had to cancel it multiple times. And I am so thrilled uh, that we're going to commit a weekend together to do this. Uh, So would you join me? Would you make it happen? Would you make it work and courageously take the step to follow Jesus and the blueprint that he's given to walk in increasing freedom? Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us and that there's an element of that that has happened, that we don't have to question it or worry about it, or that we are your kids. But Lord, would you help us to realize that it's not, that you are not finished with us, that you have a life for us, a full life, that you invite us into a journey of transformation, that before the, we were even born, Lord, you had a dream and idea of the people that you wanted us to be, a role that you wanted us to play on this earth. And would you give us the courage through your spirit to follow you and to walk these steps to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name. For the majority of the morning this morning, as I've been speaking, I've been making the assumption uh, that uh, you have made the decision to follow Jesus. And I recognize that that is actually not the case uh, for some people here. Uh, And so when we talk about new life and being justified and being adopted um, into the family of God, uh, you can do that this morning if you've never done that before. And we would invite you just to... At some point after the service to come forward, there's people here that would love to pray for you. I'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, If you want to begin that journey uh, and have those elements be true of you, to be adopted into the family of God, we would love to pray with you uh, and start that journey today. For many of us, we made that decision at some point in our past. uh, And we've believed it to be true and yet found ourselves living in a different kind of reality than what we believe. And that might simply be because We haven't taken seriously what it means to put in the work. That God is working, but he's inviting us to work with him. And my prayer is that 2023 might mark the beginning for many of us where that's when my life started to change. That's when I actually began to take transformation seriously. And I can say in 2024 that I'm not the same person in January of 2023. And yes, I know there's still work to do, but I can see that God is making me more into his likeness as I walk in step with the Spirit and I continue to work out my salvation because God is at work in me. Um, 
So yeah, at the end of January, we're going to spend that weekend together. Uh, and that's part of uh, what this Break Every Chain series is about. It's, it's, it's hopefully setting our hearts and our minds and, and getting ready to do, do some work together. Uh, we're going to be praying in anticipation for that weekend on Monday night. So we enjoin you to uh, the details uh, are in our e-news. Uh, and online, but you can uh, join us on those prayer meetings on Monday nights as we look forward to what God will do in us and through us uh, on that weekend together. So let me pray for you um, as we go. Lord, thank you again. Uh, We thank you again that uh, you've given us your word. We thank you that you've given us your son. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have done everything that we could not do ourselves. So we thank you that you've adopted us. We thank you that you've given us new life. We thank you that we are justified because of what your son has done. Lord, we thank you that you've given us new DNA. But Lord, we recognize again this morning that there's a certain journey that you've invited us to walk. That you can't walk for us. So would you increase our faith? Increase our courage. Lord, may our deepest desires become our strongest desires. May we become more like you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, Thank you for coming. Look forward to next week as we continue Break Every Chain.